Hey everyone, this is Tiffany. And this is George. Welcome to our podcast, Richness of the Word. So Tiffany and I have returned from our vacation. We traveled the southeastern United States, basically. Uh, we went to Florida. <laughs> okay, we went to Florida. We road tripped it to Florida uh, with stops in other states along the way. For those of you that don't know us and our little family, we have three kids, 12, 6, and two and a half, and it went surprisingly well, I It did. Never, I'm surprised how well-behaved the two-year-old was in, you know, an eight-hour car ride. Right, with the few stops that we did take along the way, but The magic of Coco Melon. Coco Melon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Walt Disney's Three Little Pigs. Yes. One of her favorites. Yes. Uh, it was it was very good though. But now we're back and we are excited to jump into Joshua chapters five and six with you today. Oh yes, the classic story of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Oh, we're busting Joshua all the fought the battle here. of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Except Joshua, as we'll find out, did not fight the battle of Jericho. Right. We do encourage you, however, before uh, you listen to the rest of this podcast, that you do <laughs> read chapters five and six for yourself. Uh, so go ahead, if you haven't yet, go ahead and do that real quick. And we're glad you're back. Yes. So, <laughs> so Joshua chapter five starts this new section of the book. It's kind of chapters 5 through 12, which is really about the taking of the land. Verse 1, as we see, that the Canaanites are absolutely terrified, right? They know that they're doomed. They know how powerful God is. But it also, you know, reading that kind of makes you wonder, well, why don't they do what Rahab does and just submit to him? Right? Why are they? So, but but they, you know, why do they still oppose the Israelites and 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 God? Right? Why don't they throw themselves on their mercy if they know that there's no hope for them? I think the majority of people. That's what's. That's the beauty about God, is that you have that option to turn to Him. He wants you to come to Him, but not everyone is going to. Absolutely. In fact, it's our natural inclination, all of us, all of us, it is our natural inclination to reject him, even if we know it's a, it's a losing situation for us. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the Holy I mean, Spirit did not change our hearts, we would still reject Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the individuals that walked through the desert and had manna falling from the sky and saw all of these miracles, they were still whining and complaining. Right. They didn't have a relationship with God. They no. really didn't. Which actually leads us to verse 2. Joshua is told by God, starting verse 2, to uh, circumcise the Israelites. And now, if you look like it in Genesis seventeen fourteen. The people of Israel, you're you're cut off uh, from from his people if if you don't circumcise. And yet here you had uh, all these Israelites who were not circumcised. Their parents never did it. 
right? Even though, so it's like at this time, Israel, the nation, they, they were God's people. And yet at the same time, they weren't, right? And it's because in verse six, it talks about the people of Israel who wandered the wilderness, wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because they didn't obey. Mm-hmm. They didn't trust the Lord. Those people were circumcised, mm-hmm. but the outward, but outward display, right, does not make you one of God's people, right? right? It's a hard issue. Uh, you could outwardly do all the right things and yet still not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. And so God, however, is still keeping his promise, right, to be to, as part of this covenant in which the Israelites are his people, even though they don't obey. You know, either it's they, they're circumcised, but they don't trust him, or they do trust him, as this next generation is, but they're not circumcised. God is still keeping his end of the bargain in spite of unbelief, which should be encouraging for us. Mm-hmm. It means human sin, our sin is powerless. Our, our sin nature and then things we do is, are powerless against, what, against God and what he says he's going to do. So once everybody is circumcised now, right, and they fulfilled that part, uh, we have starting in verse 10, that uh, the peop- it's, it's the end of the, the, the age of, of the manna, right? The manna's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's not going to do that anymore. And it, it, a new age has begun, right? The wandering in the desert is finally over, and the manna is gone. They don't need it. Uh, God is still going to provide for the Israelites, but by normal means, right? We have the, that they ate of the produce of the land. And that phrase is actually used three times in verses 10 through 12. So it's emphasized. They ate the land, the produce from the land of Canaan. But the, and that's what God does, right? God, his quiet provision is his usual MO. Manna is not the normal thing for him. God is more apt to quietly, subtly provide uh, for your needs rather than some kind of miracle, like bread falling from the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the conquest of the land begins with verse 13. Joshua, he's outside the camp. He's right by, you know, he's right by Jericho. He probably went out on this hill, you know, maybe to, to take a look at the city. And then the man is there in a, with a sword. And Joshua, at first, you know, is ready to fight. It's my, my Bible says Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Right. He so draws Joshua his sword. Approached, approached him. You know, just comes out. He's like, are you for us or are our adversaries? Right. Joshua is ready to fight this man because mm-hmm. he thinks he might be an enemy. And I love the answer. No. <laughs> the man said, the man, are you for us or our enemies? No. Mine says neither one. Or neither one, depending on, on your translation. But he says, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now, first off, right, don't we try to coerce God to be on our side? 
You know, we, we mm-hmm. want God to be on our side, you know, whether that's America or the Republicans or, or you know, whatever, you know, we, we pray for that. in something. Right. If, if we feel like we're the right one in this situation or. But instead, like this, the issue here, this man with a sword tells Joshua, you're going to submit to me mm-hmm. instead. You're going to submit to my authority, uh, which is how it should be. Right. Instead of trying to coerce God to be on our side, we just need to submit to him. <clears throat> and then notice that Joshua falls down, face down, and worships him. Now, there are plenty of times in the Bible where people try to worship angels. Uh, the one mm-hmm. that immediately comes to my mind is in Revelation. John tries to worship an angel because he's mm-hmm. so overwhelmed by the beauty of this creature. And the angel immediately goes, stop, no, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Don't worship me. I am a created being. Worship God. Yeah. Here, Joshua is not corrected. This being does not say, whoa, whoa, whoa don't worship me. I'm not God. No, this being accepts Joshua's worship. Mm -hmm. And even... I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? And even in verse 15, the commander of the Lord army says to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. Now that phrase might sound familiar. That's the same command that God in the burning bush gave to Moses. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly reasonable to assume that this man is God speaking to Joshua. And and when we think of God in physical form as a man, you know, the commander of the Lord's army, there's there's plenty of scripture, especially in the New Testament, again, like in Revelation of the Son of Man coming with a sword, leading the Lord's army. I think we can reasonably assume that this is a pre-incarnate Christ standing before Joshua. And as you just pointed out, Tiffany, right, where, where Joshua is like, what does the Lord say to his servant? I think that was the purpose of this encounter. It's to get Joshua to submit. Mm-hmm. And now we can move forward with the first city that needs to be conquered, mm-hmm. the first battle. And that brings us to chapter six. Now, verse one starts off by saying that Jericho was shut up inside. I mean, there's no way Israel is gonna, mm-hmm. they can't, they don't have the stuff to climb the walls or knock the walls down or anything. They can't, there's no way of getting at them. Yeah. But then verse two, the Lord says to Joshua, which by the way, we can still assume that this is a continuation of the story starting in verse 13. So you can you can also then assume that this is the captain of, of the Lord's army being called the Lord and speaking to uh, Joshua, given, given the commands. But it says, right, the Lord here says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. But Jericho's all shut up. It's king and all its strong warriors. I like how he, yes, he does say Jericho as kind of the umbrella of everything. 
but also all of the things inside. Right. And, and God assures Joshua here as if it's already happened. Mm-hmm. I've already given it to you. It's already yours. So now we have the plan for uh, battle, right? Which I think we've all heard since Sunday school, right? You, you march around the city one time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, you march around seven times. The priests will, you know, bear the trumpets. And on the seventh day, the priests will all blow the trumpets. But also notice, right, verse 4, the ark is central. The ark is going first, and everybody follows it. Uh, The ark is central to this story, just like the Jordan River crossing. God's presence, Mm -hmm. which the ark is, is representative of, is the difference in the story. Verse 8, Joshua obeys. He trusts the Lord. He trusts the Lord to handle all this, even though this, right? (laughs) This plan of battle sounds kind of silly. I mean, yes. Most people prepare for battle with... Siege equipment, ladders. Yes. Battering rams. Choreographed things. Choreographed. (laughs) I don't know, just, you know, all the choreography that goes into that. Um, But then they're just told to walk around. But they're told to do it quietly. The -hmm. only thing that you hear is the ram's horn. Until the seventh day when they walk around seven times. Right. And then they're just told to yell. It would make me wonder, as someone that's shut up in the walls of Jericho, if they are watching what's going on, how terrified, even more terrified they are at this. Because it's not the usual. And Yeah, at least bewildered, right? Yes, quite a few of them have heard and seen what God can do and what he's done. When all the Amorite kings, west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast, Heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River. They were paralyzed with fear because of of uh, God's people. So they're already hearing these things They've of what he can do and what his people can do. And now they're just seeing them walk around their town. Like, what Very confused. What is going on here? What is happening here? Why aren't they attacking us? Is, you know, what are they up to? Around our wall. <laughs> but you also, uh, you know, wonder. I'm sure not every Israelite is just like, oh yeah, Lord said to do this. Great, let's do it. Uh, there had, I bet there had to be at least a few Israelites that are like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the the people of Israel are completely passive, right? They don't say anything. They walk around and then they stand there and they're supposed to shout, and that's it. They don't do any of the attacking. They're not actually, you know, again, the whole song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Not really. God's going to fight the battle of Jericho. Mm-hmm. Right? The people are just standing there. But You're taking a brisk walk it's, with your Fitbit. <laughs> right. How many steps can I get in, basically? But isn't that true of us how we, we always tend to steal his glory if mm-hmm. we can? God accomplishes something great through through us, and then we go like, "Oh, look what I did." You know, 
or God blesses us in some way. You know, he gives you a promotion. Uh, God gives you the, the knowledge or skills to be good at, at, at a job or mm-hmm. uh, he gives you some athletic ability or whatever it is. You know, it, they're all blessings from God. Mm-hmm. You didn't do anything to get them. You were born with this ability or, or lucked into something or, or whatever. It was God's blessing. And, but we look back and we go, ah, look what I did. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I did a good job. We steal his glory. So you can see this is what God is like. Y'all are just going to stand there. Y'all are going to shout. And these walls are just going to fall down. And uh, that's how you know it's me. Yeah. <laughs> that did it. <laughs> that being said, though, God actually does not tell the people, I'm going to have these walls just collapse and fall in. No, he just tells them what to do. He simply says, you march around and yell. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's it. Uh, there's, there's, there's this suspense written into this story here. Like, okay, the people just obey what God said. Now what's God going to do? What's actually going to happen? Uh, and notice it's, you know, verse, starting in verse 16 and really 17 through 19, we have this little monologue by Joshua here. Now, you know, like Joshua says, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then he goes into this whole thing, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord. And, you know, I, me and, and, and other scholars and things that I've, I've read up on and everything, they're like, Joshua probably didn't say all this word for word at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't make sense. He's like, everybody shout because da, 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 da. no, everybody would have started shouting. Nobody would have heard him anyway. It's, it's assumed that the author, at this moment of suspense, because you're like, everybody's shouting, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Right? Assume you don't know the walls fall down yet. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going to happen next? Well, then you have this monologue that Joshua probably said at the beginning of the day before they did their march, but the author has stuck it here. And I think why is because this is the moment that the reader is paying the most attention the author is like, now I want you to get this. The author does this elsewhere in, in this book as well. But yeah, this section that is trying to get at the fact that obedience is very important because that's what Joshua is talking about, right? You're going to devote all this to the Lord, Rahab and the people in her house. You're going to let them go, but you need to dis- devote everything else to destruction, right? All the silver and gold, it's holy to the Lord. They'll go into the treasury of the Lord. And it's all about obedience. Obedience to God is very, very important. Even more important than witnessing a miracle of the walls of Jericho falling down. Now, so they shout, the walls fall down flat, everybody goes straight into the city, they capture the city. Verses 20 and 21 basically is a very basic description of the battle. It doesn't go into details about how it all went down, uh, because that's not the priority of the story. The priority of the story is 
obedience to God's instructions. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, there is a lot of killing. And as we've talked before in when talking about Joshua, this killing of the Canaanites, it's not nice. It's not neat, but it is just. But even so, there is mercy in the midst of destruction. Mm-hmm. Rahab, mm-hmm. A, a pagan prostitute, is welcomed into God's people. Mm-hmm. In her family. It's something that we can all, all of us who are in Christ can relate to. I mean, we were all once lost. Mm-hmm. And because of God's mercy and grace, we are all welcomed in. Uh, Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins and we are given Christ's righteousness. It's it's been placed on our own account, provided that we throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ and, and ask him to save us, to be our, our, our one and only savior. And how interesting is it also that Rahab is a... Spoiler alert. Yeah, is an ancestor of Jesus, of, mm-hmm. of, of this Christ. It, sh- it shows with Rahab and her curiosity of their religion and... Christ, well, and God, that he does work subtly and knew that this woman was needed to not only save a couple Israelites from being killed in the town, because she hid them in her house, but then through her came the one that would save us all. Yeah, the Lord worked. The Lord's grace uh, and mercy is uh, astounding. Mm-hmm. And when you focus on those things in the Bible, yes, the battle of Jericho and how that all went down is important to see how God works and and does things in his own way to show he is the one that he's the one holding the world in his hands and he has control completely of everything. But when you look down even further at it and focus on the history of everything that goes into it, and as you read the Bible and dive more into it, it just, it opens your heart more to him to see somebody like Rahab, who was a Mm -hmm. prostitute. She was a prostitute. The majority of the men in the town probably knew who she was to then be who she became Mm -hmm. because of God. And that's just a, that alone is a beautiful story of God's love and redemption. Amen. So that concludes uh, Joshua chapters five and six. Uh, We do hope to have you back next week when we discuss chapters seven and eight, uh, in which we see the consequences of not obeying God's instructions. Of course, before we do, we do have a few discussion questions Uh, for you to use with your family or small group or in your own private reflection. It's number one. God asks us to obey and trust him, though we don't know what the results may be. How does this story encourage you to trust and obey? 
And question number two, how are we who are in Christ like Rahab? Thank you for listening this week. We are so excited to be back with you all. And we pray that the Lord has shown you the richness of his word.